Hey, hello, hi, greetings. You are locked into another episode of Meg Talks, the people's platform home to queer POC millennial conversation. Big up yourself if you're locked in for the first time. Listen, we're your community, we're your friends. Make sure to lock in for all the other episodes. If you're back for another episode, respect and manners every single freaking time. You know, I appreciate you. You can listen to every single episode on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Apple Podcasts and Anchor as well. And if you're not sure, just go on Google, type Meg Talks Podcast onto the um, search function and you can see where I'm at. Also, peeps... The, I, the Instagram is looking healthy. The growth is looking incredible. So I just wanted to say thank you because, yo, you know, it's just super important that we try and connect with as many people as possible. And I appreciate you. So if you're still trying to find me, Meg Talks Online on Instagram. But anyways, I am here with... I Listen, I've been so excited to have this conversation. I'm here with actually another event organiser. Yeah, you remember we've had Queer Brock in the space, that was lit. We've had DJ Malika Green, that was lit. But now, peoples, we've got Urban World in the building. So people, show some love. Anyway, guys, before we even crack into it, I'm going to get you guys just to individually introduce yourself because this is the first time. No, actually, we've had one with Brooke and Alicia. But yeah, we've got three people in the building right now. You know, it's usually me and a dynamic duo, but here we go. So yeah, take the stage, ma'am. Hey, yeah. So I'm I'm Vanessa. I'm co-founder of Urban World. Uh, hi, I'm Zara and I manage the night. So you probably see me if you come to the night at the front running around with my curly hair. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty much today, today, guys, man, it's just about, again, plugging you guys to something that I personally went to. I'm going to share my experience as well. I'm going to share my feedback. And yeah, it's just to let you guys know all the other fun things that are available, you know, because this is something that's London-based. A lot of you men are London-based. So yeah, I hope that this content here just makes you laugh, it inspires you, but also gives you a motive on a, on a flexy Saturday. If you're feeling funky and that, you can just head on out and do your thing. So before we even crack on, I think probably if we start with getting to just know you guys a little bit so like me and the audience can get to know who we're talking to because guys, you know, normally I have some relationship with the guest. Do you know what I'm saying? I've known the person for however long or whatever. It be. This this is, I'm learning with you guys, you know. So I guess Vanessa, you just tell us a little bit about, about you. So what do you do? Where are you from? How long have you been in the event space? And then like, what, you know, Zara, that, then that applies to you as well. Okay. Um, so, so my day job is I'm actually a graphic designer, so that's mm. what I do sort of uh, full time, and I've been doing part time events uh, for probably about twelve years actually. So before Urban Worlds, I was doing um, a night called Urban Desi, mm. and that was an, again another queer uh, club night um, specifically for the Asian um, community, and we were doing I think I start. Actually, I can't remember when that started, but it was about six years before we started Urban World. Mm. Um, Urban World started official. Well, in 2015, it's we we sort of headed to Scala, and that was a more regular event. We were doing five events a year, but before then, we sort of trialed it as a, an annual event, and that's when I sort of partnered up with Patrick Lilly. Patrick Lilly is the other co-founder, so he's my business partner 
for mm. Urban World. Uh, so the two of us sort of started Urban World Pride in 2012. Right. At, I don't know if you know, the club Hidden. Uh, well, was Where the club Hidden. Where is Hidden? Vauxhall. Well, it, it's, it's now houses, but um, it, it was a really... Is that under the, the archways? Yes, that's now, it. Yeah, near fire that's and stuff. Because so, I am trying to... And there's there's like um a green... I remember there being some like green space outside of it or something like that, right? So that might be union or factory. Because there's you. a couple... There's quite a few clubs up that way. But mm. Hidden was a little bit further down. So it was right. a bit more of a walk. But that's where... I don't know if you remember brands like Work... Mm-hmm. Um, so work was one of Patrick Lilly's brands. Uh, he also did Queer Nation. Okay. Um, and at that time we were doing Urban Desi at Hidden. So he sort of came up with the idea of uh, a pride event where we sort of put our brands together and collaborate. Um, so we did our first one in 2012. Um, to be honest, it was, we didn't really think anything of it, but on the night it was quite overwhelming. It was such a success, uh, not necessarily a, in a good way for us, you know, from a management point of view, it was just mm. so hectic. Um, but it, it was really successful. Uh, we, we couldn't actually, I don't think we could get everybody through the door. Wow. Um, so that's when we kind of knew that, you know, we were onto a good thing, but we- Twist even... your mic around a little bit. Is that better? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was, um, sorry, where was I? So you were just saying that from a management perspective, it was an absolute, it was a it bit was of a, a nightmare it because was a it was nightmare. just, because the response was so strong. Yes. And we just, we, we couldn't manage it. So then we sort of left it. And then after that, we did about, I think, another three events. Um, but again, there were just pride events. There were Urban World Pride. But the next time we got brands like Bootalicious involved, mm. um, we had uh, Habibi involved, which is Nikki Lucas's brand. Uh, well, not anymore, but it was. Um, and even Exilio. And so the whole idea was kind of bringing sort of, you know, diverse brands together, you know, run by people of colour mm. and putting it into sort of one space, like almost like a hyper club. And um, yeah, it was it was really special. But at that time, it was only something we could do once a year because it was just so much work. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and what the, year was that? Was that 2015? 2012 it started. Okay. And I think 2015 is when we thought, okay, well, actually what happened was um, I was doing Urban Desi regularly, but we lost our venue in mm. Liverpool Street because uh, they sold it to somebody. So we, we kind of didn't, we were homeless. So that's when I sort of approached Patrick again and said, you know, do you do fancy trying this on a more regular basis? Um, I think he said no initially, mm. <laughs> but then I, I think, uh, I don't know, well, I can't remember exactly what happened, but he then decided that maybe we should give it a go. And again, yeah, so we, so we went to Scala and Scala gave us some dates and we gave it a go and it, and it worked, mm. you know, and... It hasn't, I can't say it's been plain sailing ever since, but you know, we have kind of grown mm. and it's been, we've been there for seven years. Although we did recently celebrate our sixth birthday, but that was my mistake. Yeah. Because I forgot, <laughs> I forgot it was COVID and mm-hmm. um, it didn't account for that. But uh, yeah. So we've been there for seven years pretty much. That's impressive. That yeah. is really, really impressive. And Sorry, kind of a bit about your background. So what I do in my own time is very different to urban world. I actually work in finance. Mm. So in investment banking, very, very different, uh, as you can imagine. So for me, um, urban world and urban Nessie before that has really been part of my growth. And I know it sounds a bit too deep, but 
when I used to come to the club as Urban Desi, it was my first experience of seeing other Asian people, other people of color being gay. Mm -hmm. And that was it. That's how, I know it sounds shocking, but mm. the journey that I went on with my sexuality was very much that, that I thought I was the only, I'm Muslim and I'm the only gay person that's out there. That's, that's Muslim and gay. Yeah, that's what I thought and how I understood life to be. Then I came to Urban Desi and I saw so many people that were like me really um, mm. and similar. And then of course, Vanessa and I are very good friends. I got to know Vanessa um, and my growth then developed into Urban World with Vanessa, where mm -hmm. we were just getting bigger and bigger. Um, when we talk about diversity, you see different people. It's not just about gender. It's not just about color. It's about everything. You know, you can express yourself in every way possible. And Urban World, for me, gave me that platform to express myself. I came in as a girl that used to wear bodycon dresses, hair extensions, the whole works, because I wanted to look like a woman. Because mm. I didn't want anybody to know that, hey, I'm gay, so I must look like as woman as it gets. And then as time went on, I exper experimented with bow ties, pocket squares. I tested it out and I thought, actually, <laughs> over, the, over the time, I realized that my thing was more gender related too. So what I felt like on the inside, I could never really express outside because I was restricted to these literally bodycon dresses trying mm -hmm. to impress everybody else, but really killing who I, who I was inside. And now at Urban World, I just wear whatever I want and I love it. And I feel like the part of me that I've kept hidden for so long finally gets to come out. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the kind of platform that Vanessa and Patrick have created for so many people like me. And I'm privileged to be a part of the team. But And that's what I try and make happen at the front um, of house. We have security, but I want to make sure that anybody that comes in is being treated as an individual. They're mm -hmm. not coming in saying, you're a boy, you get in that queue. You look like a girl, you get in that queue. Mm. We do not do that. It's like, what do you feel comfortable in? Do you want to get treated like a man? Do you want to get treated like a woman? Do you mm. want to get treated like nothing? Mm -hmm. Just go ahead, mm -hmm. do your thing. And the security, we we would prep them prior to that because they're different companies, so they would change. You don't yeah. get the usual people every time. So they would know when somebody's walking in, whatever they want to be treated as, that's how they get treated. Mm -hmm. So we're, what we're talking about here is there's a whole culture and a set of values around the principles of how anyone anyone that's coming into that space how they can expect to be treated and just having that sense of freedom and liberation and being able yeah. to express yourself in accordance to how you feel and then being in an environment which then responds to that yeah because you know sometimes like i might be like because i'm non-binary as fuck literally mm -hmm. and it's like i might go into a space like I'm like, I'm strolling in non-binary as hell, but they're like, no, you're a woman. You've got yeah. boobs and vagina, so we're going to deal with you one. <laughs> so there's this kind of real tension between how I'm showing up in my own truth and power and then how that environment is then responding to me. But it sounds, from what you're saying, that all of this has been very well considered yeah. off the offset. So yeah. as you even, before you've even, even bought a rum or even shaken, shaken your hips, there's always been, there's already been that positive interaction yeah. and that includes, that sense of inclusivity. That's, that's powerful, yeah. you know. I mean, to be honest, I mean, since we, you know, I know that the whole gender neutral, like, for example, toilets mm. are, are a thing and stuff. But we were doing that, um, you know, seven years ago. We, we, we just decided that actually we don't want to have separate toilets for boys and girls. Mm. And, you know, just to keep it open for everyone, because let's be honest, most gay clubs and bars you go to everyone uses a toilet just like you know mm. there is no 
boy toilets or girl toilets. There's no so order. There's no point in trying to create that separation, you know? Yeah. It's go wherever you want to go. I love that. Like, mm. recently, actually, I went to... Um, where was I? Where was I? Oh, yes, I was at Guy's Hospital. The one, um, the hospital opposite the Shard. And I had to go to the hospital. I had an appointment. I was waiting there for some time because I like to get the early morning appointments. If I can get the nine o'clock one, because clinic hasn't fucked up yet, so there's not all of these delays, <laughs> right? That's my that's my whole thing. So I had my nine o'clock appointment. Then like the day before, they ran me. Was like, sorry, we've changed it to eleven forty. I was like, ah oh, shit, <laughs> I'm in the belly of the beast right now. So I had this whole long way, and it was just it wasn't a great experience to be fair. Then I went to the toilet. I was like, let me go to the toilet before I leave out because I know what I'm like. So I've I've stepped two, I've put literally put two feet into this door. There was this woman, you can't be in here, it's for women. <laughs> I was like, I was like, shut up. I'm supposed to be in here. And then across the room, all I heard was, mom, you can't say that. I was like, talk to your mom. <laughs> and I, I'm a big fan of just unisex toilets for that exact reason, because mm. it beca- can become... It becomes very pressurized and my partner is becoming more aware of that because we go to the same gym and our paths um, overlap sometimes or we might decide to train together or whatever it might be and some of the looks that i get in the, the in locker room she gets so annoyed Aww. she gets so annoyed and i'm like I can I kind of get it though. They think there's a black man in the toilet. How uh, how do you expect them to react at this point when like they have half getting unchanged? I was like I I don't agree because I think that it's sheer ignorance. And mm-hmm. anyone that looks at me, I look like a fourteen year old boy if you're going to put me in the category of a male. You know, I'm mm-hmm. bloody tiny. Um, but with that being said, I understand I understand what the scenario is, and I understand that if you're looking at things from a, in a particular way, that can trigger a particular response. So I can yeah. see that linear way of thinking um but yeah just that i guess i went off on the tangent of that because it reminds me of that and i'm glad that you've catered for that because it creates anxiety you know and i've had to have those conversations that part of my anxiety that i'm unpicking through therapy is me consistently preempting what a situation might be or what are the things that i need to consider um and just actually not doing that and being able to just go into a scenario and deal with whatever it is that i'm presented with but i would say the toilets and change rooms have been a big issue in terms of a big trigger point in all of those overthinking things. So yeah, I just fully respect that mm. for someone like me, I don't even have to think, you know, I can yeah. just piss in peace, literally. <laughs> <laughs> but before we even get into their club nights, cause you started to talk about some things that were really, really interesting. And I must say you are the first set of guests that are representing your community. So uh, from what I remember, Vanessa, you're from Indian heritage. Yes. And then Zara, you're Pakistani yeah. heritage. And you came through when you was 11, 12. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So firstly, big up to the Asian community because <laughs> I am very aware that we've had our whole heap of blackness on here, which is a beautiful thing. But again, it's not just us in this space. And I really want to connect and understand from a different perspective because I'm cute. Um, I'm Caribbean to the max. Mm-hmm. Um it's completely different culture to where you guys come from, but there are so many similarities. So I'm really curious to understand what does being Asian and queer mean to you guys? What does that look like? What does that feel like? More broadly from, you know, if we're looking at kind of your formative years growing up, up until up until now. I think we've both got quite different experiences, mm. if I'm honest. And mm. 
Um, but I think, you know, I, I think it's a really good point you made. Like, you know, the Asian queer community, the black queer community, we're sort of under this POC umbrella. Mm. And yet we're so different, you know, and there isn't enough integration. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, World is so special, because it's the first time those two communities come together. Um, for me personally, and I, I, I was very fortunate, like I, I, for some weird reason, kind of knew that I was gay from a really young age and it just was something that didn't faze me. It's not that I did anything about it, but I know that a lot of people my age, you know, really struggled with it and it really did affect their mental health. But for me, I kind of just was quite laid back about it. I think Zara's experience is very different to mine. I went to university and that's when I sort of started exploring it and I discovered other gay Asian people just like me and I discovered club nights, you know, such as Club Gali, which is probably at that time the only club night that was, you know, around that catered to Asian gay people. And um, yeah, like I, I loved it. It was like exploration. It was a new world and it, I felt very comfortable in there. Um, so my experience has been quite positive, mm -hmm. you know, even in terms of family, like I wouldn't like, it's not, it's not ideal. Like my parents or my family know, but it's not something they fully accept. So it's mm -hmm. not like I can flaunt my sexuality at home. I do have to keep things quite separate, mm -hmm. but they were, you know, I, I didn't have any of the negative, um, experiences that I've heard you know you know there's been a lot of violence or you know people being thrown out and that kind of thing and I, I was quite lucky that I didn't have that mm. you know but I do have to keep the two worlds separate mm -hmm. but I've kind of like learned to do that I'm 40 years old now and you know from an early age I knew my home life and my, outside my home life are two kind of separate things mm -hmm. when I walk into to my house I'm you know I know that there's certain things I can't do and I can't talk about and I'm kind of completely comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. um, but it works for me. That's not to say that, you know, it's going to work for everybody. And I'm not saying that that should be the way that people should live. And I've obviously, you should be authentic and you should be able to live the way that you want to live. But it, this is just something that works for me. Mm. I think it's really interesting that you say that you create a double life. Um, and, you know, there's certain topics and subjects that you'd never speak about at home. It's almost like what I was thinking of as Vanessa was talking, it's like you create your own language. So that language is family talk yeah. <laughs> and the rest of it is you. Mm -hmm. So I'm not out to my family. I think they have some idea um, as close as I could get without actually coming out. So, mm -hmm. and that's okay for me. Mm -hmm. um, my struggle was really- and Just to ask you, what does, I guess ultimately, what does that mean when it's like you, you're kind of taking it up to, as, you've gone as close to the line as you can be. So is that kind of like, kind of insinuating or is it just that because you don't see me dating guys for such a long period of time, you're gonna kind of two and two is making four at this point. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? If if I start talking, Meg, I'll be mm. here the whole day and this will just be about <laughs> me. So I'm gonna skip those parts, right? So yeah. I've been through the trying to make the straight thing work. Got you. Um, not by choice but something I felt like, because I am religious, um, you know, I, I pray when I can, I fast. Um, so it's not that I decided that I went through this journey and decided that, you know what, I'm going to stop being Muslim and I'm going to start being gay. Mm -hmm. I had to find that balance. And Vanessa has been quite instrumental in that journey. Just coming across somebody who's had such a positive experience with it. I, I mean, I say such mm. a positive, a, a positive experience mm. with her sexuality being South Asian and, 
dealing with it. Mine was the opposite extreme. I literally thought I'd rather be anything but gay. Mm. And I absolutely punished myself for it. And I thought I was the worst person in the world mm. because I couldn't control these emotions and desires that I had. Even when I was in like primary school, I fancied my English teacher and they're always like blonde with blue eyes. And I was like, what is that about? Why am I not liking my maths teacher mm. who's this masculine man? And I'm not going for that. So this confusion stayed with me and then it started to make sense when I understood what being gay was um, and then coming out to clubs and seeing people that were similar to who I was. I used to walk into a club and like Vanessa said, she found an option to explore. Whereas I came in and I didn't want to have an eye contact. I didn't want to look at any girls. It actually petrified me being in a setting with other lesbians mm. because I was so scared of who I was inside. Um, so my family don't know, they know as much as they need to know. Mm. Um, but the best part of the development for me during this process has been that I've stopped punishing myself. And I accept myself for who I am. Amen to that. Mm. You know what really touched me um, is, and it's the conviction in which you spoke that you know I don't have to be queer or Muslim. I can be both because I'm, I'm queer and I'm a holy rolling Christian. I'm actually going through Lent right now. No, way. actually, yeah, yeah, it's a big time, man. Like the spiritual business is front and center, and so on. And I think it's powerful that. We don't have to pick. I'm like, I am all of these things. And that's just that's just how the cookies crumbled yeah, for me. Absolutely. You know, and there's there's power in faith. There's power in I'm not really I don't really believe in religion and I I did a whole episode on um spirituality was it spirituality, faith and sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um Philly and I um checked that out. And it, it can be so complex, but it can be so simple. And I find the complexities are to do with religion yeah. and the simplicity is in relationship. And that's kind of where I sit in. Like, I can't be dealing with the toxic nature of religion. I'm like, that's culture, tradition, history, politics. Yeah. It's a bag of stuff that's not about God as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But relationship, when I get on my, when I get in prayer position and it's go time, that is me and my spiritual yeah. being. Yeah. So I'm just, my heart and soul sings that you're able to have that. Because I think for me as a personal faith, that's probably one of the biggest wins. Yeah. Because a lot of beautiful things and a lot of strength and a lot of encouragement can can come from that space. And, you know, when I'm kind of listening to both your stories and then thinking about myself and other people around, you know, it is such a diverse experience. And I'm glad that as free people here, we can talk about that because there's often a narrative that's it's like a plug and play narrative that's pushed on us it's that our families don't accept us we've been kicked out nobody mm, talks yeah. to us and we're unhappy and we're depressed and we're living on the fringe and the margins of life and i'm like this is the whole premise of the podcast that is some people's narrative and i would never minimize that or diminish that mm -hmm. but that's not everybody's narrative yeah. and it's yeah. important exactly. that all narratives are brought to the table, especially for the young bucks coming through. Because if all you see is trauma, upset and stuff, who who would want that? No, At the end of exactly. the day, who would want that? So it's kind of being able to portray a more accurate depiction mm -hmm. um, of different people's experiences. And there has to be space. Like, even when you was talking about yours, and it's like, we, we're in a time in society where we almost have to speak in disclaimers. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, fuck that. Like, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> this is just what my life is. And I'm not going to apologize for that. And me celebrating and talking truthfully about what it is doesn't take away from anyone else or doesn't, do you get where I'm coming mm, from? Yeah. So like, that's kind of what I think. But thank you for just sharing candidly 
about that because I think these are the things that make that th this is the essence of ur urban world. Yeah. You know, yeah. This is some of the things that you've started to tell me already about kind of like how you used to present and your journey with really understanding what gender means for you as an expression and so on. And again, like you, what university meant for you mm -hmm. and that like, being able to like cut loose yeah. and just yeah. start to, do you hear where I'm coming from? So that like, listeners, I hope you are tuning in and I hope that the tea is hot. I hope that you're relaxing and having a good time because this conversation is fire right now. <laughs> like my soul is being fed. So my one of my big questions is, is how did Urban World become a, a concept or an idea that had potential legs? Well, that's the thing, like, you know, like a lot, I wish I could say that, you know, there was a group of us and we sat around a table and we came mm. up with this amazing idea mm. and, uh, you know, there was a blueprint and all of that sort of stuff, but there wasn't. It mm. was, it literally was. Uh, Patrick was doing work at, um, at Hidden. We were at Hidden doing a night as well. Okay. He sort of approached us uh, with the support of the venue to sort of say, let's try this out where mm. we collaborated and it worked. And what we saw, I don't think we any of us expected it to be the way that it was and what was it was uncomfortable initially I have to say like the first venue uh, sorry event that we did was really uncomfortable for a lot of the, the crowds just it was almost like what's that water and oil mm. they kind of just like gravitated to their own spaces but wouldn't really mix and it was really weird to see and, Interesting. and yeah. that's the thing that I, and I thought, wow. And it was, it, I thought this, sh it shouldn't be like this because we are people of color, you know, mm. we're supposed to be one category yet there is, you know, and actually even that, so we, we carried on doing events and I think what sort of motivated me to want to keep doing it was because I started experiencing and I started listening to people talk about, um, you know, the fact that Urban World was now a black club or a black mm. and brown club in quite a negative way from within the Asian community. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that was a bit of a shocker for me. And I thought that's not how this should be. And mm, do you know what I was thinking when you were talking about the use the analogy of um, oil and water? And I thought, do you know what? It makes perfect sense to me because I've never really experienced a world where our two communities exist just on the day to day. No. Like, I, in my life, I've really, in, in terms of close proximity, in terms of everyday interaction, there was, um, I can, I can, and it's the fact that I can even remember these individuals' names tells me something. I remember a man like Janathan at primary school, man never used to speak to nobody. He was on his <laughs> own thing. You know, I think he was going through his own thing, you know? And then I remember Sharmina and Simran in my, um, in my form. And you know, you have your tutor yeah. group and so on. And again, like, there was not really much interaction there. There yeah. really wasn't. It was just the polite, the polite, oh, what's going on? You're right. And then, but I had one bridging called Geeta. Now that was my homegirl. <laughs> now me and Geets, we used to roll out. We used to roll out. And I remember that was my first Asian friend. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my first heartbreaks as a friend because my friend, I don't know what happened, but like she met this guy and he was an older guy. And I, in hindsight, I understand there was probably a bit of grooming going on. And like she just cut out of school and never saw her again. Wow. You know, and I remember the last time that we was walking around, we was at the running track actually, just hanging out. And that was the last time I ever spoke to my friend. Mm -hmm. And like nobody knew 
where this kid was at this point. So beyond that, I think that was probably my last close, really meaningful interaction. And then, you know, I've worked throughout my professional life, you then meet different cultures. That's a very different type of relationship again. Mm. So in my lifetime, there's never really been an integration. I've never really seen, shout out Nalini actually at King's. <laughs> shout, out, shout out Auntie Nalini, you know, because that was another woman that looked after me mm-hmm. when I was, when I bought my, when I was buying my flat. This woman came with 10 million incense sticks and was like, make sure you bless the house. <laughs> she, <was> like, <laughs> she she gave me the full breakdown of what I needed to do. But it's very similar to the, um, the Caribbean culture. Yeah. You know, but again, there's just this lack of um, integration. And this is why I think the first conversation we ever had on the phone, mm-hmm. I spoke about it really yeah. candidly. And I'm like, I want to have a conversation to firstly do part of the work. Yeah. You know? This isn't happening very often. So I want this to happen and I want um, the audience to be able to kind of begin to think in a different way because they would have been exposed to a lot of black culture, you know, understanding where we're coming from, but we're not the only people existing in in this space. So I think it's beautiful, but I do see that lack of integration uh, kind of broadly as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, I do think it's getting better. You know, I think, you know, organisations like UK Black Pride are doing a really good job of, you know, integrating more with the Asian community. Mm. But I, I th- certainly the time when we sort of kicked off um, and even to the level that we're, where we're doing um, now, there isn't anyone doing that. I mean, mm. previous to that, Urban Desi was, because that's the thing, British Asian people uh, don't necessarily integrate very well with the black community, mm. but love black music. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was yeah, brought, yeah. you know, I was, I mean, I, my situation was a little bit different. I was born and brought up in Halsden. So I- You're I, from the ends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and, and, so I grew up around black people. So mm. I wasn't, it wasn't so indifferent for me, mm. but for the majority of Asian people, they're not brought up in, in areas where there's a lot of black people and mm. they don't integrate. Um, my dad had a, bit, um, a corner shop. So we, we integrate, we knew the community really well. And it was very much Asian and black. Mm. You know, and my dad would, you know, sell plantain and, you know, would make sure. My dad's boss man. Yeah, Yeah. proper, right. (laughs) And uh, so I didn't really, for me, that was normal. Yeah. And it was only when I got older and I realized it was just so separate. I just, I didn't get it. But, you know, I think the thing that's a shame is there's a lot of people are into black music, but yet don't really take the time to integrate or know anything about the culture. What do Um, you think some of that breakdown, what, if you, if, and again, it's potentially not facts, but from your experience and what you think or what you feel, what do you think some of that disconnect, where that disconnect comes from and why it's there? I don't, I don't want to, I do think there is a bit of racism there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't, I can't say, I, I, I could say it in the sense that I've heard it, you mm. know, I've heard, pe- you know, some people, or I've heard it through other people, mm. you know, I'm not going to go to that club because... Mm-hmm. There's black people there, and it's. Okay. I find that shocking, mm-hmm. and that especially it, in this day and age, I when know, you're just right? like we have so many yeah. issues to think about. And are you really saying, even thinking it, like forget saying it, you're, you're actually thinking, thinking that? Because mm-hmm. um, I mean, you know, because obviously I had Urban Desi that we integrated into Urban World, and mm-hmm. you'd be surprised how many people we lost. Mm-hmm. You know, what would have been our regulars before that would happily come to our club when we had an Asian room and an urban room, but was for Asian people, mm-hmm. happy to dance to black music, mm. 
but then wouldn't want to go to urban world because there was a room with lots of black people okay. and I think that kind of gave me that fire though it did it just made me think you know what well then you're not welcome here they fuck off fair play <laughs> fair play because and I'm glad you know I respect it I respect when someone can talk the truth and call the spade a spade at the end of the day because a lot of the black community if not all no we know what time is I'm like listen if my brother tried to marry one of your daughters as a father <laughs> yeah. I said listen it is pitchforks and torches at this point. Mm -hmm. There's no, there, there, in many scenarios, not all, but in many scenarios, there's no compromise. No. It's pick, pick, it's either you're picking your partner or you're picking us. Mm. What are you saying at this point? So like, even at that very basic level, we understand that there isn't necessarily that acceptance. So if that's a starting point, not in, and again, let me just reiterate folks, not in all scenarios. And I think that goes without saying, but if that's the home, the whole message, that's where that mindset can follow you in terms of, because if you say to your, your parent, okay, why is that? I'm not challenging you, but I want to understand what is it that, you, why you don't want that kind of crossover mm -hmm. of cultures. You know, that's where kind of like, it's misinformation and misschooling, you know, and if you're not kind of connected, then you, and you look at things from the outside, I think if you look at any culture from the outside, it looks crazy. But yeah. it's not until you get inside the culture and you understand how all these mechanisms come together and, and then you realise, right, this is actually kind of cool. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think there is that kind of understanding, but then oh, it it kills me, you know, because I think probably the South Asian community and the black community, that's probably the closest that we have. Because if you think about, first and foremost, food. Yeah. What Caribbeans can mash up a curry like no tomorrow and we all eat roti? Yeah, yeah. Do you see where I'm coming from? Even that, and then when you take it to another level, if you go around the Caribbean, mm -hmm. there's Asian man everywhere. There's South Asian man everywhere. Like yeah. you see with Trinidad um, and Tobago. That's right, that's yeah. a, that The cultures are close. You see where, um, like Guyana, same. In India, what? The local shop is called Kamal's, my man. Like, and <laughs> Kamal sells everything. The kitchen sink down to bread, everything. <laughs> Do you understand? When you look at, if you go into Jamaica, if you go to Port Antonio, you see where I showed you my parish? Yeah. So the main uh, town is uh, Port Antonio. If you look at a lot of kind of the hardware shops, um, shops that are selling, some that are selling food at like supermarkets, but electronic shops as well. Asian run. Wow. South Asian, right. And also there's a lot of Chinese folks there as well. Big, It's a big thing. So to me, yeah, in England, I'm not seeing it, but back home, yeah. there is, on a regional basis, there is such an influence. So I think that there's a real opportunity yeah. there. And even when, like, when you talk about Kenya, mm -hmm. you know, when you look at some of these African countries, South Asian people, them are there. So I'm like, if there's any two groups that need to ally up, it's us, man. Yeah, yeah. it's it, absolutely. And it's such a shame that, you know, they don't, not as mm. much as they should do. Mm -hmm. But you know mm. what What I find really interesting is um, people that are actually from back home, like you're saying, because they're comfortable in their culture and comfortable with who they are, they're okay with, like you're saying, allying up with the other the other side mm -hmm. because they're confident that they're not going to lose an essence of who they are right. the issue comes i think where a lot of people are 
holding on to these cultures or holding on to concepts and ideas that were from back in the 1970s and 60s that don't actually exist if you go back to Pakistan. But they're thinking, actually, I'm a true Pakistani and that's what a true Pakistani is meant to think like. So I'm going to stay away from you because you're going to dilute what I've got going (laughs) on here. And that's, I think, what happens. Whereas with my family, because um, obviously I was born in Pakistan and I'm from there, my, my nan, who's in her 90s now, Shout out, Nani. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Nani Jan. Um, so as far as my nan was concerned, I wasn't told that you can only make Pakistani friends when you go to school. Mm-hmm. I wasn't told any of that, but I, I didn't even meet Pakistani people until I was, say, GC, doing GCSEs and mm. I made some Pakistani friends because I didn't go in with the mind that I need to look at your color, look at your religion before I get close to you mm. because that concept really didn't exist in my family and we are as Pakistani as it gets because right. we came from there. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that that opens up a whole nother conversation around like the diaspora. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's true because when you're taken out of because Jamaicans in the UK are nothing like really authentic Jamaicans back home. Mm-hmm. There's just there's a combination and I think that you kind of romant there's an element of romanticizing your culture and yeah. What's, what life was like back home. But actually, when you're taken out of that, within 10 years, the place has changed significantly. Yeah. So it's kind of like holding on to, like you said, these old school principles of what yeah. may be, or even just holding on to the essence of, I feel so far removed, but I want to hold this close. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, and you know that that story of like, when someone holds a baby chick in their hand too close, because you love it, you end up killing it because mm. you're not giving it enough space. And it's just, and it's that same thing of mm. holding something way too close um, and then not giving yourself that space. <laughs> what you're describing there is, is generally Asian parents and their children. <laughs> because like, especially like me, if you're born in this country, that mm. is it. They hold on to this. You can't get too westernized. Okay. You know, you can't get too, don't do that because that's too, you know, mm-hmm. you're getting too westernized. You have to hold on to your culture, mm. you know, with dear life. Um, because otherwise, you know, you're you're not going to be like us. You're going to lose everything that, you know, we've fought for. Mm. Um, and I can understand that. I, yeah. I can under- see the logic in that way of thinking. But I think that the issue is, is that where it goes too far, you yes. know, where, you, you know, there is, you have to accept, you know, this is something that, it's taken a long time for me to even get my my family to understand you, you, we do live in a British country, you know. We go to school in a British school and we are amongst other people and you can't expect us not to be influenced by these yeah. things, you yeah. know. Um, it's unrealistic. Because you naturally assimilate. Yeah, you, absolutely. Even, even on like a very primitive level, right? Even for... Because what all of us will have some experience of is walking into an all-white space with brown skin and understanding, okay, what's the play here? Mm. What's going on in this space? And it's like your mind's going, and bringing it all together. And you're like, right, now I know my angle and approach. And we have to do this a lot of the time because even like you said, what can run outside cannot run at home. Mm. two different so from a very very young age you learn to kind of adapt yourself to your environment because there's so many layers yeah do you get where I'm coming from and I I, I feel that I feel that something I wanted to um talk on actually was the first actually there was two things that kind of sprung into my mind when you were talking about Asian families and so on and again it's not something I'm very well versed in do you know what the first 
the, my first exposure to what a South Asian family would look like. Oh, and it was actually a mixed race family because it was like half British, half Asian, South Asian. I'm not sure where. And it's, it's not, I doubt it's a rural representation. You know, East is East. I knew it. <laughs> I knew as soon as you started saying that and you yeah. said mixed, I was like, I, I know yeah, it. That was it. Where that you're was, going with that? That was the first, <laughs> that was, that was the, like my first exposure. And then there's a family that lived on my road about, maybe what, five houses down. And let me tell you something, it really, it started to open my eyes in terms of spirituality mm -hmm. and how that plays a role. Because put culture aside a minute, spirituality is something that, is something that you feel. And even as a kid that you feel. And there was like the candles outside the yard. Yeah. And then there's certain times you see the family coming through when there's been certain life changes, certain situations. That's, for example, someone passing away and seeing how that plays out. Mm -hmm. And they were always very open to me and my mum. Very, very open as a matter of fact, you know, if I wanted to go over and kind of hang out, I never really did too much. Cause I was like, I don't want to be in these people's business. Like, mm. It felt weird. I'm like, they don't know me like that. And I feel like I'm forcing myself now. But again, just seeing the unification and how tight knit Asian families are, when I look at Caribbean families, sometimes we can be a little bit more fractured, not across the board, but I think for so many reasons, like if I go back into history, why we've been, why families have existed separately, yeah. but really seeing that unification and you just talking about, they hold their kids close, Yeah, you know? And I, like, I did see that in that film, the closeness, but there was still something missing, which I think for me, what, where I started to understand the South Asian community at large and I know there's different countries different again sub communities subcultures and so on but it's the spirituality that has touched mm. me you know so like I guess from a spirit a place of faith belief do you have a belief or a practice or anything that you're connected to or you just kind of living your life for you so to be honest like so my parents are Hindi and they're okay. very religious and they're quite conservative mm -hmm. and that's what I've been brought up you know, but very similar to you, um, I've kind of edged more into spirituality because mm. it makes more sense to me. Um, the whole religion, the, you know, kind of a book to tell you how to live your life isn't, doesn't work for me. Mm. Um, so I think I'm similar to you, you know, and it is very important to me. My spirituality is extremely important to my mental health. Yeah. And just to kind of just, I guess, you know, accept my situation and and just to be balanced. Mm. Um, so it's definitely like the you know the center of my world, if if you like. Mm -hmm. Everything else is kind of around that. Mm. And in terms of like, like you said, it's good for your mental health. I understand that when I get ahead of myself and feel like yeah, I can do it, and I don't pray, and I'm not asking for guidance and wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and all of these things here. I start getting stressed out mm. and I start getting frustrated and then I start to see the limitations within the world and within myself. And I'm like, why? Mm. I want it to go this way. And I'm like, hold on a minute. You're not working in alignment with your higher being. You're not working in, uh, in alignment with the divinity within, within myself even. So that has a massive impact on my mental health. So like, do you have any particular practices, rituals, things that you do for to nourishes your spirituality, but also nourishes your mental health. Now that's to both of you. 
I think for me, because um, I spoke about um, praying and I spoke about fasting, I think for mm-hmm. me, there, there is obviously a structured way of praying mm-hmm. as a Muslim. Yeah. And um, and I do do that. Um, but the part that I really enjoy is that, and Vanessa and I often speak about this, is the spirituality part, mm-hmm. which at the end, when you just speak to God. Mm-hmm. And I know you spoke about being in a position of prayer and when you're all set and ready to go. So all of that is very similar mm-hmm. um, in Islam as well. But for me is that part when something isn't going right and I'm literally just crying out like, why can't you just give me that this mm-hmm. one thing I want, just give me that thing. Yeah. And it's that realization which comes with time when you're like, there is a bigger picture here. Mm-hmm. You're trying to push me. And um, again, I know I keep referring to Vanessa and how instrumental she's been in my development, but I would be sad about not getting a job or something not working out. Mm-hmm. And I'll call her and say, oh my God, everything's going wrong. My life, is, this is the end of the world. And Vanessa would be like, listen, just wait, have patience. Mm. And there is a bigger thing that comes. And I know it sounds so cheesy for somebody listening to that, but if you connect on that level and you think, I can let myself go at this stage, there's mm. something better planned for me. And it always does. Yeah. And it happens, doesn't it? It, it? it just tends to happen, but you need to have that belief. So for me to charge up, it's that connection that I feel where I'm really just having an honest conversation. And I no longer tell God that I'm sorry about being gay. I used to mm. say that a lot. I no longer do that. I mm. now focus on, you know, this is what I really am doing. And I'm grateful for this. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful that you've given me a really good day today. Thank mm-hmm. you for that. And just having that moment to just be grateful. Mm. And it goes a long way. Yeah. Woo! That is... Gone. You look like you had something to say. Oh no. Well, I guess mine is slightly different. Mine, I focus mainly on meditation. Okay. I tr- well, I try. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always the easiest thing, mm-hmm. but meditation and gratitude uh, yeah. to yeah, the yeah. things that I really do try. Um, and for me, it's just trying to set aside some time, some part of the day, um, every day, where I'm trying to sort of learn. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's um, um, you know a book that I can read or an audio book that I can listen to or a podcast about it, but just something that you can listen to. And it sort of, you know, I may not remember everything, but it nourishes you, you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. uh, from within. Yeah. And that's what I find is helping me a lot actually recently because I have I feel like I've got back on my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I lost it for a little while and I'm back on that journey and it does, it just, it can completely sort of just balances everything out, you know, and puts things into perspective. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you are right to say it is a journey because you can't just be in tuned throughout, can you? You can't just be like, I'm gonna, you know, better things are coming around. It's really hard to convince yourself, especially when you're having a down mm. moment to think there's, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel and all of those mm. cheesy lines, but it's really hard to get that mindset where you actually believe is going to happen and that's where that journey part comes in where there's downs and ups and downs and it just carries on like that and i I think it's i think it's beautiful when people are able to have a full journey and a full experience rather than feeling firstly condemned that i'm not enough and i'm sorry that i'm not enough and i'm sorry that i do things i'm like spirituality and faith is so much bigger than that mm, you know yeah. it, is, it is far far bigger than that and I also think that there's space to to disconnect and come back you know there is whatever it is that you believe in that space or that energy or that being will always be there and they will always be happy to see you in my mind yeah it's like it from a Christian perspective 
it's like I believe like God is always happy to see you. Mm. Even if I ain't prayed in five weeks, which is very, very rare. It's like, like, hey, you're back. Where you been? <laughs> yeah, I was waiting on you. I was waiting on you. Come, let's go. That's how I perceive and receive that. And I think that there is this ongoing relationship and development of you getting to know yourself through the lens of your spirituality. Yeah. Um, and also whatever it is that you're connected to or believing in or receiving from, also getting to know that, you know, so for me, it's getting to know God, getting to know God's ways. God's ways are not my ways. You know, I might see things in a certain way. I'm looking through the keyhole where he, he doesn't, he, there's no door. Like he sees mm. all things, you know, so I think there is that journey. And I'm so glad that we can, all three of us actually get to sit here with three different belief systems. It's yeah. three different ways of mm. connecting with that as queer folks. That is so cold. And my brother's Muslim. Right, mm. my my sister in law, shout out Fatin, um, come from Morocco about ten, eleven years ago. Now you went out there, found a wife and five wonderful children. So actually, I come from a multi faith family, and I have yeah. a lot of um, reverence for Islam. I didn't even know the conversation was going here, but you know what? I never know. Jesus was in the Quran. What? <laughs> I can't believe it was my brother that taught me that about maybe a couple. Of, it was the year before lockdown. Big man, what are you talking about? He said he's in there, you know? So I hope that this can just, um, this segment anyway, it was, see, this is what happens when you don't have notes, guys. I told you I'm not doing notes anymore. Because <laughs> you can just go wherever you need to. And I think that this is important for anyone who has a faith and is feeling pressured. Mm -hmm. Someone who has disconnected from their faith because of pressure. Do it your way. Do it your way and be free with it. Like me and my partner, we're doing Lent together. We're doing, um, we've given up a few things. And I was really shy because I used to go to church every Sunday. I used to go Bible class every Monday, then connect group on Thursday before lockdown. Like I was plugged in. Mm. I was plugged in doing my little thing. And, um, but I'm not, I'm really not sure about the church. There's just so many things within me. I love the experience, that praise and worship. I get to dance and sing and I'm mm. involved. But there's something in me where I'm like, mm, hmm, I need a break. So I approached my partner, I think it was this week, and I was like, oh, babe, I've got a question. She was like, yeah. Like, do you want to do Sunday service together? She was like, yes. I was like, what? <laughs> what? And like, so that's something that we get to do. And it's just, again, like I said, do it your way. Mm. There's no right or wrong way of doing this. And don't let anyone tell you ultimately what you know inside yourself to be 100%. That. I don't think let anyone dictate yeah. that. And it needs to be at your pace. Yeah. Mm. You've got to do what it, it has to feel right for you from within. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're just following what somebody else wants you to believe or yes. think or feel. And it just that doesn't make sense to me. Mm. And that's part of their journey. Yeah, Everybody's absolutely. journey is if you look at this like this, yeah, a spiritual journey in some respects, ah, uh, listen, the Christians are gonna kick off at this one, but fuck it, right? You're, <laughs> you're, you're, it's like your financial journey and your spiritual journey, right? If you look at them as parallel, everybody's financial journey is different, right? Everybody goes different ways to make money. Mm -hmm. So let's just say someone's on a journey to make their first meal and you have 10 people, it's gonna look completely different. It is exactly the same principle for spirituality. You know, so just because one person turned right and went left and went round and round about and that was it, you know, it might have to be that you have to walk backwards to get to yours, you know? Mm -hmm. So again, also appreciate that 
the validity in someone else's experience and where it's coming from when they're sharing. It's probably because it's worked for them. But if you try it and it works, it's lit. If it doesn't, that doesn't mean that that person is wrong or that you're wrong and you don't fit into that. It just means that you just find a slightly different route that works for you, you know? Yeah. But I'm going to switch up, switch up the tone a little bit. And um, because I, how I want to get into urban world. So peeps, yeah. (laughs) Let me kick let me kick this off. So back in February, what were we in March? Yeah, February times, you know, head down to Urban World. And first and foremost, shout out for um your home location of Scala. I love Scala. I've seen a there's an event called Doctor's Orders. Um okay. where DJ Jazzy Jeff, he's um Oh yeah. You know the one Jeff, from Fresh Jeff, Prince. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Done a couple of sets. Down there, so I love Scarlet. I love it. Looks like a theater. Um, it's got layers. It's got textures. It's got character. I, I I've got a lot of time for that space in mm-hmm. general. So shout out to that. So um, so I went down there now. Came in. Firstly, everything was right. The treatments right. Just as you said. Because mm-hmm. when you were talking about the security and the whole frisk up situation, I never even thought about it. I just kind of walked in and just got frisked. You get me? And <laughs> yeah, I, never, I didn't. And it, that's probably why I didn't think about it because there was no pressure of, okay, you need to go over there. I wasn't yeah. assigned yeah. a space, you know? So that was nice. And then I was like, I just mentioned your name, who I am, whatnot. And they were like, okay, cool. You know, head down upstairs, whatever, whatever. So you did a bit of name dropping at the front? Yeah, definitely. It was a long way. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, so the first thing was I just hit the hit the main entrance, did a walk around. Yeah, it's a vibe. Everywhere was a vibe. Everywhere was a vibe. The VIP area was nice, guys. Like, you know, if you can get a little VIP ticket, if you can stretch the budget sometimes, it's worth the experience. You know, it was very, very nice up there. So I'm a, I can be quite introvert at times with, you know, I'm neurodivergent. So I can be out there. Sometimes I'm just in myself. So for anyone that maybe wants to enjoy themselves and doesn't want to get in the thick of it, or mm. you want to be able to kind of dip in and out, I would say that the VIP option is really good because it's a bit of a close, closed, close, a closed off environment that's a bit quieter. Um, you've got access to the balcony, so you can go and just watch everybody getting down downstairs, or you can yeah. go downstairs. And so I think that that that's where it really worked for me that I had a moment to kind of catch my breath without having to go into the smoke room or go outside and yeah. or hide in the toilet for a minute. So that was nice. Firstly, let me tell you something. I heard a bag of Dexter Dabs and Shenzia. Yeah, and for all of my Jamaicans, no, 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 no. That the DJ was hitting it right. Oh, really? The Good. DJ, listen, I love me some Shenzia and Dexter Dabs. And so for me as a Caribbean, I felt more than catered for. And I actually... Bumped into some people that I used to rave with, like, in my early 20s. So this is over 10, 12, 13 years ago. And I was like, what? (laughs) What a coincidence. And we used to go booty and all of them places. So it was a weird reconnection after so many years back in a similar type of environment. So it was nice, man. Then the Desi room. I'm not going to lie, I felt well shy. I felt, I walked (laughs) in and I... I, it felt like walking into like the wrong wedding. I was like, oh shit. But then what struck me yeah, was everybody was having the time of their life. Mm. And I was like, I need to go back and I'm going to spend my whole event there. Mm-hmm. That's what I need to do because I'm so naturally drawn towards the music that I like. That I wasn't even in there. For, I was in there five minutes and I'm like, no, 
that's not the point. Mm. Going, I'm so I was like, I'm coming back and I'm coming to have a Desi experience. Yeah, more than one. And I'm like, I said, I see the dances, I hear the music, and it was just so alien to me. Mm. It was so alien, but everybody was having a good time. But I was like, I don't know how to. How do I get involved? Yeah. If I if I just jump in and be me, is it gonna be alright, or am I gonna offend some people in terms? No but, way. So yeah. like that that was that was my thing. But that's not because of how anyone made me feel or how anyone behaved. That was my reservations about, I don't know how to act around this community. Yeah. And I don't want to start moving wayward mm-hmm. and disrespect the scenario, you know? But overall, I think you did a fine job. You know what? Just to put your mind at peace, we'd love it. We yeah. love it. We love it. Don't Honestly, we? It, for we me, because I, I cultures when I go upstairs and I see you know, the members of the black community upstairs and they're sort of attempting to dance to Bollywood or Bangra music, you know, honestly, just it makes my heart warm because that's the whole point of why I pushed for this in the first place is for the two communities to integrate. Downstairs, you see a lot of the the Desi community and they're sort of, you know, twerking to the music. Yeah, they're getting down. They was doing the dances right. And and upstairs, you know, people are, are starting to, I mean, initially it took a while, but um, it's happening and there mm. is integration and I, it's really nice to see and that's how it should be. Mm, it should. And you know what? It's understanding this within yourself. Sometimes things don't happen because you're not sure. And in that scenario, it's because I wasn't sure. Mm. And what I would say in hindsight now is you see when, because at that time it may, you may not even be aware that you're unsure, but you just think, hmm, maybe I'm not supposed to be here or hmm, am I? <laughs> Do it. At that point, from what I've learned, it's like, do it. Do yeah. the Ross Clark thing, yeah, because you know what? <laughs> like, I, my little dance skills aren't too bad. So, like, once, once I'm in there, give me 45 minutes and I've picked up a couple moves and I'm <laughs> fully in, you know? So, that was that was overall my experience. And actually, one thing I want to say, I'm a big, big, big drill fan. I'm a big grime fan. I'm a big UK rap fan. I always have been. So, when there was, like, the drill set, mm-hmm. Who, oh my God, who was that guy? It was, there was the first guy that came on, cold. He was so good. And I was going mad because I love drill. I I fully get it, you know? And then seeing there was like a girl that came on stage and was doing her thing and just Mm -hmm. the whole culture, the rebuttals back and forth, like the intensity coming up to the audience, hyping it up. I was like... Oh, do you mean the the, the live PAs? The live were, PAs, yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, yeah. Carter the Bandit and Keenan, and okay. uh, he had uh, two special guests, and that was a live PA that we had for the last uh, event. Mm-hmm. Actually, Carter, he he dances for 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 us anyway. He's sort of him and a, a group of his friends, and they do the stage animation, uh, which is amazing, mm. and they just go along with the music. But he's actually, you know, up and coming queer crime artists so mm-hmm. uh, we decided to showcase them it was at good the last, I thought so there, there was there was one guy in particular that I was like geez like you got some, you've got something everybody was good but sometimes you notice when someone's got something super special mm-hmm. and I thought to myself quit drill this is mad to me know, and there's a group of them as well and they're doing it and it and I'm I think they're gonna blow the pod, up you know? I'm you gonna really have should. to get them on the pod because I love drill yeah so like, I'm really curious to understand what does it take to put on an event? Because, you know, Akil was sitting right here. I was sitting right where you were sitting. And he was talking to me about his experience and how 
it can be really anxiety provoking in the run up mm. because there's so much, there's almost so much riding on it because you've put so much into it. So I'll be really, it'll be really cool to hear what your experience of when you know you're organizing it. What what do you have to do to organize an urban world event, and then how do you feel throughout that process to the to to the night? God, I um, think you need to talk about the original version and then how much you've streamed. Mm -hmm. We the want way. we want to you hear all of it from the yeah. top. It it is it is a bit of a um, a job if I'm honest. Like everything from the budget, uh, and then you know because we have about we deal with about twenty odd people. Mm. You know in terms of like DJs, MCs, promoters, uh, door staff. So it's about making sure that everyone liaising with everybody, they know what to do. And then because I'm a graphic designer, so then it's about you know, actually creating all the marketing material and designing them for social media. Right. And then it's about posting and getting that out, creating the ticket links, uh, making sure people know they can buy tickets. Mm. Um, big part is watching how many tickets get sold because that's really, really nerve wracking uh, because, yeah, it, so much is written on it. I mean, it, our events cost a lot of money. Yeah. And just to make sure that we can at least break even. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of the main, and also like like recently, what we do as well is that uh, you know we we have to make sure that all the DJs have their riders, so we have to pre-order all their drinks and mm -hmm. bits and pieces to make sure that they've taken care of, and then it's like dealing with all the sort of you know questions that people have on social media, making sure they're answered. Mm. Um, Are there any kind of like common questions that you tend to get? Can I wear trainers? Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or can I wear a hat mm -hmm. and uh, that sort of stuff? So actually, I mean, all the all the years that we've had, we've been doing Urban World. We haven't had a website. Mm. Um, I'm now about to launch a website. It's still not going to have that information on, but it will do eventually. Mm -hmm. um, because I guess for me, it's like, well, that sounds like a dumb question, but for somebody that's never been to the club, mm. um, and I guess if they if you're used to going out to heterosexual clubs. There are a lot of restrictions, whereas mm. with Urban World, as long as you don't come barefoot and you're not naked, uh, you know. Or you, well, you some could, people do try. Yeah. yeah. They do try, but. Then you're kind of fine. Um, I guess also like recently with the COVID restrictions, you know, where we had the, the COVID, the vaccines. I mean, that was that was a bloody nightmare because mm. that was literally announced about a week before our event in December so we we literally had about probably having to deal with about 40 emails a day to the run-up of that of people asking what is the process mm -hmm. um so it, it is constantly trying to make sure everybody's you know and, and the other thing is oh that was another nightmare because we normally we sell tickets and it's usually um non-refundable yeah uh, just because it takes, as a club, it takes a lot for us to put these nights on. And if we have that policy in place, it just safeguards us, mm -hmm. you know. But with COVID, of course, we had to be a bit lenient because if somebody contacts us and said, I've got COVID, you know, you can't be a dick about it and say, well, that's your business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So then we started doing this thing where I say, okay, if you've got COVID, then you can push your, you know, you can, you can, we can actually, you know, pull your ticket to the next event. Mm. But then managing that, is another because it's just me that does it right. you know so mm -hmm. then it's having to make sure that everybody that has covid you got to have a separate list mm -hmm. make sure that you know you contact them afterwards to say are you coming you know and then make sure that they're honored when they do arrive um at the door so yeah that that's is, pretty that, much that, and just just to say people you know that 
is an extensive piece of work. It sounds like, oh, okay, we well, can just transfer our name list to that. And that. it's not, when you're dealing with multiple people for one event, mm. and then you're having to think about adding then guests to that, because they may not necessarily have been like key liaison in that way. No. Do you get where I'm coming from? Conversation may more be, like you said, inquiry based, mm. rather than having to let people know, oh, by the way, this is happening. Are you coming? Well, yeah. That's a whole nother layer of, I, I really respect that actually because you could have turned around and said well what can I do the same way it's not your fault that you've got COVID it's not my fault that the pandemic is happening <laughs> yeah you know and you kind of get into a stalemate and say well that's 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 on you mm. do you get where I'm coming from so it's lovely that you kind of honor that and create a bit of wiggle room so all right we'll come through to the next one yeah you know what I was thinking you've missed out a fundamental part of the night what's that, that Meg asked about about the setup of the you missed that what's that when we go there from the afternoon oh, God, time and yeah, up that's till the it. next day. I, I just love, because I, I participate in that heavily. So she skipped that part. She's like, I immediately, completely yeah. forgot about that. <laughs> oh yeah, because that's the other thing that I do. So I, I, it's so it's one of those things I kind of now, it's got to a point where I st it's streamlined. I don't mm. think about it, but it is, it's part of my role. Mm. So it's even like doing a video. So we create a video with different, you know, graphics and uh, music videos for the main room to sort mm. of play on the side. So that gets done. But also we do posters for the next event and so we um, have to go to the venue quite early. So we usually would arrive around three o'clock. Yep. Um, and that's three o'clock in the afternoon. So for the next few hours, we put the posters up and then we get ready and then we're ready to start. Mm -hmm. So three o'clock in the afternoon, we're there. We don't leave until six o'clock the next morning. Also, Wait, hold on. 3 yeah. p.m. Mm -hmm. and you don't leave till when the next? Six o'clock the next morning. Jesus Christ, that is yeah. yeah. That that is a that, that I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, and it is because we have to make sure that everything's set out properly. Yeah. Our banners are up. Um mm -hmm. the VIP room, they've got the right number of tables for the people that have, you know, bought a table. Mm -hmm. Um, just to make sure that, you know, the tables are up for outreach, because we also have outreach uh charities that come and, you know, give out condoms and all sorts of stuff, um, and advice for sexual health. So there, there is a lot of things There's that we a do lot. need and to... About 20 minutes before the doors open, I start to avoid Vanessa. She, <laughs> you don't want to be around that. <laughs> you definitely do not want to be around that 20 minutes before the doors You know, you talk about open. anxiety. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That's when mine kicks in about yeah. 20 minutes and I can't be around anybody. So I go and lock myself upstairs in the promoter's office. Mm -hmm. You just take that space for yourself. Yeah, with my laptop. Got you. Got you. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it sounds like a really cool process. And the reason why I try and unpack it a little bit is because... You know, for the casual raver, the time when you guys are sweating, running around doing all of that, people are probably putting on contour, so gluing down their lace front <laughs> wig, or they're wrapping up their weekend, dropping the kids off to Nan's place or whatever it might be. So there's like two things existing at the same time, but they're completely different. Oh, 100%. And, you know, even within, during the rave, everybody's there dancing, drinking drinks, you might even be catching a wine if you're lucky. And, um, but again, managing an event, you're having a completely different experience, you know? Yeah. So like, what are, are there any kind of wild, wild shit that people never assume that happens in a club? Because I'm, when I think about raving, that, you know, people, I've never hit it. I've had a wild relationship with party drugs up until probably about four years ago. Mm -hmm. So my experience of raving, I wasn't even, I was, I was there, but I wasn't there, if that makes sense. My yeah. mind was somewhere else. So it's like, 
from your experience, you know, what are some of the things, if things go wrong, what's likely to go wrong? Or what, what are some of the scenarios where things have gone really, really wrong? Um, I mean, if we're talking about drugs, um, you know, when Could we- Could be more broadly, even. Um, I guess the only thing that's gone, what's gone wrong, would you say? I think because there's so many, you've seen how many stairs there are in that yeah, place. Yeah, right? Oh, so yeah, we God. get accidents because, you know, <laughs> people are- I should laugh, but we've had a few people that have fallen over, yeah, yeah down yeah. the stairs. Um, that's a drop. That's a drop and a half. I know, right? Yeah. So many, they keep going. Yeah. They keep yeah. going. Yeah. Um, so if you're unfortunate and if you're intoxicated, intoxicated enough, then yeah, that could be. So quite, we do have a lot of those when they're yeah. just too. Firstly, what we would try and do security is eliminate that from happening, so they mm -hmm. won't let you in if mm -hmm. you're that messed up. So mm -hmm. when I used to, I actually used to. I know I shouldn't be saying this. Why? When I used to be uh, managing the queues before. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, just drink some water and yeah. act alive <laughs> until you get in there yeah, and then yeah, carry yeah. on. And try. But yeah. you don't want to kill someone. You don't yeah. want to no. pee more. Just time. drink some water. Yeah. Um, calm, so calm I think a lot of that happens that I have seen. Yeah. The drugs thing, um, security, the reason they do checks for all sorts, you know, it's not just mm -hmm. drugs, it's everything else as yeah. well, weapons or whatever. Um, so when they do that, sometimes people get quite upset or there'll be one okay. friend who's looking shifty yeah. that has a problem with the fact that why is he being... I think the funniest if, about when they get, you know, like at the front and then they've got caught with drugs <laughs> and... Yeah. Um, then they're like, well, can I have my money back for the ticket? And it's like, no. Yeah, you <laughs> no. tried to bring contra riding here. What do you know. mean? I know. And it's like, well, you know, it's great that you tried your luck there. Mm. But it's, I think that's quite funny when uh, people do think that that's okay. I definitely, do you know why I laugh? Because I have got a vivid memory of like my friend being busted, trying to go into fabric with something in there with some hot pockets. And I was like, <laughs> bro. You couldn't have thought of a better plan. Like, <laughs> your, your, your coat pocket is not the ideal spot. And he was like, he went, and I remember, he, what? There was something that he, uh, I think he asked for his shit back. He was like, since I'm not coming in, can I get my shit back? I was like, I said, Jesus Christ. I was like, it looks like none of us are going out tonight. We're going back to your place. <laughs> and it is that, <laughs> it is interesting when alcohol's in the mix, drugs are in the mix, and, because you guys aren't necessarily dealing with the individuals themselves and who they probably are on a day-to-day -day basis no. outside of them. You're dealing with a slightly different part of their um, personality. So more excited, maybe mm -hmm. was that like, intoxicated or whatnot. And like when you're in a group and stuff, you're you're often like less self-aware because you're more consumed with what's going on with your friends or whatever it is. Yeah. So you get a different environment. Have you ever had to like evacuate a club, uh, evacuate an event? No, you know, luckily we, we haven't. We almost did. There was one time uh, somebody had called up the police and said that there was a, a suspicious package uh, in the middle of the dance floor. Right. Um, and I think it was just somebody trying to be a twat yeah. and um, close the club down. Mm -hmm. And I think it was more to do with maybe... Um, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to go into it. But um, a bit of jealousy. But like yeah, that. we did. The gays are out. They're doing <laughs> yeah, too much. They're yeah. flouncing around King's Cross. Um, but um, it was silly because they did it at a time when it's about eleven o'clock and it's not even that busy at eleven o'clock. So when the police arrived and you know we, everything got stopped, it mm. was it was kind of okay. And then they quickly realised there was no suspicious package in the middle of the dance floor, and then we kind of went. It was fine, but 
And there's so much security at the venue, as you would have noticed. Yeah, I mean, they, there's they about very vigilant, which is great that, you know, if there are any fights, that doesn't happen often. Mm. But if anything kicks off, the security before they can even get into it. That's, that's I think really, that's the one yeah. thing, because it is quite scary, especially like the main room. There's, you know, you could fit 500 people in the main room. Mm. And it, when it does get really busy in there, if they're in the middle of that room, anything kicks off, it can turn ugly very yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there is security all the way around. Mm. And, you know, touch wood, it hasn't happened. I, I, do you know, that says a lot about your event because I've been to, well, if I start from a different position, actually, I'm not much of a queer raver. I, 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 love, a, I love a heterosexual rave. Like, I've overall always found at large that the quality is better. Okay. And it's just like, like, I love living proof. That's one of the coldest hip hop nights known globally, mm -hmm. you know, Doctor's Orders, again, when they've got the likes of DJ Jazzy Jeff coming through. So I've always loved, cause I'm I'm here for the music. I'm a music connoisseur. I'm, I couldn't give a fuck who's in the room, you know, I want to come and hear certain tunes and I want to hear the sound set up in a certain way. So I've always, I got used to that environment and that looks and feels completely different, mm -hmm. right? However, this, when I've gone to queer spaces when I was younger, so we had Sugar Rush, we had Carabana, I think there was Booty and stuff. It used to kick off big time. Mm. What? Every month, I think it was like the first Friday or the last Friday of the month with some of these things. Beef, it used to, there's fists and elbows swinging, mm. big brawling. And I always, always had an issue with that. I had an issue with that for a number of things. Like going into the club environment, I think I had a bravado that I, I, I wanted to go but I didn't feel confident and safe in myself that I could hold space for myself. Yeah. So when shit starts popping off now, I'm like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake, that like, this is madness. And that was part of the reason why I even just cut this shit out. I was like, why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, if I don't feel comfortable and I don't feel safe, and it was so bad that every time I would go to an event, I'll be thrown up on the way there. Yeah. And it was like a running joke that, ah, oh, Meg will pull a whitey. But I think that was anxiety. Yeah. I think it was anxiety kicking my butt. So the fact that you such been, a shame, isn't it? Because uh, I used to hear about a lot of these things as well. Boy, like, listen, this shit would get crazy in there. And the thing with me is that I'm good until you touch me. Yeah. Let your cut or let you touch me, then it's gonna be wahala in here. Mm -hmm. So it was like, and I know that I've got that temperament. Don't touch me. I'll be nice as pie until you put your hands on me, mm. and then it's a different situation altogether. So I kind of opted out. And I remember the last time I went to. The last time I went to a queer event before I had a really long break, and that break was, we're talking at least seven, eight years mm -hmm. of just queer, uh, going to straight raves, meeting partners in straight raves, just, and I had a really good time to be fair. But the last thing was I was at an event and um, bless my mum, like, I, have to, I, have to, I have to show that respect because bless her, she would drive me to the rave at big, big, like <laughs> 19, 21, and there's like me and like my little, and my brethren's them in the car and she's like driving us and she's like, have a good time guys. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, so she's dropped us off. Well, no, she's dropped me off from my partner at the time. And um, it was the summer just before I was going to uni. And this is important because I was going to study criminology and sociology. So I can't be fucking around with the law, mm -hmm. right? I'm that close. My mum's like, keep your head down. You've got a matter of weeks before you enroll. Keep yourself together. So she's dropping me off. My partner I'm like, bye. Open the door. So you know you kind of have the main door to actually enter. Then you have more time, like a little window where you might pay. Mm. And then there's the next door 
where you either go in or there's the cloakroom and then there's another door. So there's like two or three tiers of doors. So I finally got to the door where we've opened the, to the dance floor and I put my head in and I just felt so weird. And I say this feeling that I'd never felt before and I had to leave. And I was like, no, 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 babe, come. The class club got tear gassed. No way. But I had never, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what it was. So I was like, oh my God, like what? But because I literally opened the door and came out, I didn't get the worst of it. So I've left and then I was like, let me see if I can call my mum. Yeah. Because she's not going to be that far. So anyway now, but when I tell you, God as my witness, I've seen my mum drive around the one way, that like kind of come back around the one way system and drive past, there's like a little pub somewhere. And I was like, started running towards the car and I'm ringing and I'm running. Mm -hmm. I was like, fuck this, I want to go home and I want to get a lift. I'm not trying to do night bus. So I've got hold of her, I was like, stop the car, where you are, stop, I'm coming. So she's like, all right, fine. So my partner's like, literally just behind me and I'm hearing bare footsteps, I'm getting chased. These people dragged me out of my mum's car by my legs. And my mum's my mom's a peacekeeper. And I'm I'm on swinging if it needs to be. So she's holding my arms like this in the driver's seat. And I'm like, get off of me. You're going to get me smashed to pieces. And they're dragging me out the car. And these were people from the club. But I didn't know them. I'd never mm -hmm. seen them before. That was the last time I said, fuck these clubs. I'm not coming back. So, so why did they come yeah, after you? Up until this very day, I don't know. Do you think because you were running, chasing your mum, they thought you've had something to do with the tear gassing? Could have been. It could It could have been anything. Like, I've never seen these people in my life. Wow. I've never spoken to them a day That's in my scary. life. And the thing is, the fact of the matter is this. If it was a different scenario, it would have been different. And like, I'm not a person that will run. I'll stand my ground. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, no one has the right to force me out of my position and make me feel uncomfortable. If I choose to be here, I've got a right to be here. And mm -hmm. I'm going to be here. And whatever it's going to be, it's going to be... But in that scenario, because I was running to get back in the car, I wasn't aware of what was happening behind me. Mm, and yeah. that, at that moment, I was like, I did not feel safe. But the fact that you were saying that you don't have the issues of fighting. Mm -hmm. And when I came, there was none of this toxic people screwing you down and looking mm. like they're going to kill you. And that is a massive thing for me. And I know for a lot of mass presenting people, that feeling of being safe. Yes. So like... In terms of like safety and so on like that, in terms of like security, that like what's the brief that you give them in terms of like how to maintain a good vibe, a good vibe and environment? Do you know, just just go back to what you were saying about not having that sort of sort of kind of toxic toxicity mm. in, in our urban world. Um, it's not to say that we don't have scruffs, you mm. know, there is, they just get dealt with very quickly and they're yeah. quite minor. Um, but that's one thing that we did notice about Urban World. And I, I think that's one thing. Because when I used to do Urban Desi, they used, we used to have the same thing. That mm. you kind of, maybe not as much, but we did have issues with fighting. Mm -hmm. um, but what happened with Urban World is you didn't have any clicks. Right. And which you would have at sort of an all black event or mm -hmm. an all Asian. You have the regulars and you have the cliques and you have rivalries between groups. You just didn't have that urban world. And it kind of, because I don't know why, I don't know why it hasn't been, but it's mm -hmm. because it's like even ground for everybody. Right, 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 right. Um, nobody can form cliques. It's mm -hmm. maybe because of the scale of the event. It's mm -hmm. not small um, and there's lots of rooms. So, you know, you can kind of avoid uh, confrontation. 
So, you know, that's where we've been very lucky mm. and that's why we've been able to maintain that. I think the other thing is that the security, again, I keep saying, because some of the people are the same, every event, majority of them aren't, and this is where we come in as a team to prep them. It's almost like some kind of profiling, if that's the right term, mm -hmm. with the kind of groups that are coming in. Right, 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 right. So we would never have, say, you know, a group of like seven or eight heterosexual men Yeah. And we wouldn't let them in. Mm -hmm. It's just, it, it yeah. is, we're not at that moment in time. We're not thinking there's 20 of you. How much are you all going to pay? Because you're not going to be on the guest list or yeah. we don't do that anymore. You're mm -hmm. not going to have a ticket. How much? We're not thinking that. Mm -hmm. We, we are all about, yeah, we are all about making it the sa a safe environment um, and, and letting people express themselves. Because the moment that group comes in, and I think it was a conversation you and I had where, yeah, that group would be fine, but imagine a, fright, a fight breaking out. Yeah. How can security manage that quickly mm -hmm. if somebody just flips? And I'm not saying that, oh, yeah, you need yeah. to be straight to flip. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah, yeah, It's understand. just there's some people that express themselves in a way, in an environment that they find comfortable and safe, yeah. and they don't want judging eyes or whatever you want to say. Yeah. So we would make sure that level of profiling happens mm -hmm. at the front and security would say, what do you think? And I'm like, no. Mm -hmm. You know when you just get, yeah. you have to, so yeah, you have yeah, to do that been. filtering at that point too before they've even entered the club. I think that's important. Mm. That Because I know some people, when you hear the word profiling, you get triggered. Stop being triggered, mm. right? Because let me tell you this. If you don't understand the importance of why it is, it's important to scrutinize the people that are coming through the door in a safe space, man, I don't know what to say because <laughs> the reality of it is, is that it's not the same as, um, let's say, hetero clubs. It's not the same, like the risks aren't the same and it's really being aware of when people are coming to say like a queer dance now and they're coming to have a good time. Yes, okay, you can put it under the broader umbrella of nightlife, however, there are a number of complexities and things happening at the same time that you've kind of got to speak to. So there could be, first and foremost, there's no problem if you want to be heterosexual and come to a rave, but what you're not going to do is start doing the most. Mm -hmm. It's like, for example, if there was a black event, an all black event, and it was for the community, by the community, anyone can roll up, but that's what it is. And then white people start coming and doing a madness. What? Mm -hmm. That fucks with the whole... Thing, that's not what you're supposed to be coming in to integrate into and simulate into our world and enjoy. But as soon as you want to make it your thing yeah. and changing the dynamic, that becomes a problem for the rest of the people who have come there to embrace that space. Absolutely. So it's really just understanding why the selective nature would be, it would feel and look different and it should be mm. to one of what is a heterosexual yeah. club. And I just want to outline that it's not that we don't have um, LGBTQ+. Plus. I've covered everything, allies mm. coming mm. in. So it's not that yeah. you can't come in if you're straight. It's just the grouping mm -hmm. or the, the number yeah. of that kind of setup uh, we need to be mindful of. And again, it's yeah. it's for the safety of the guests. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because we've had uh, we have we've had a scenario before, um, uh, probably twice mm. that I've noticed where you know um, a straight you know male has mm. has kind of come in, and you can't always tell. You mm. can't always assume. Mm. Um, And then he would be inappropriate towards, you know, the the females at the club. Uh, yeah, and yeah. then, you know, that nobody wants any of that, you know, uh, certainly not at our <laughs> club. I mean, that's, um, and I, oh. so that sort of stuff. So we have to be really careful. So, mm. I mean, that's where the security are really good and they do listen and they react very quickly. Mm. Um, and then, you know, we've got a big enough team, you know, there's 20 plus of us. Mm. Everyone usually has their eyes open just to make sure that, 
so maybe we can because we've got a, we've got a decent amount of time left yeah so like maybe we can talk about kind of what what in terms of the team how what is the team made up of how do you create a team what do the different people in the team what are the different roles of the team and then also then to speak about um like you said you work with some charity partners that mm-hmm. provide sexual health awareness and comes on because i also clocked that and we'll talk about that because i was like i was because i didn't even notice at first and i saw the table i was like what the fuck is this mm. i was like what are those johnnies what's going what's going on here and i think that there's a broader because that sparked off a conversation between um, a big conversation between me and my partner because we're like i i'd never seen this before and i don't in heterosexual clubs, I, I don't see it. Yeah. But because I don't go to so many queer spaces, I don't know if this is just a thing or part of the thing. Or And I was like, I didn't get it. She had to kind of break it down. So we had that. That all, It was a good, a very good conversation. So I, I want to have the conversation with you guys yeah. to kind of really unpack it a little bit. And also if someone does come to your event, that they understand what that is and how to interact with that space. Because maybe if you're shy, you might be like... <laughs> Grab, yeah. grab, grab a quick rubber and, and bounce but actually there's more of an opportunity afforded beyond just there being condoms available on the table do you get me that there's yeah, more no, than absolutely. that so I, we'll pick up on that but let's kick start with um the team so yeah. what does the urban world team look like and what are the different functions within that right so we have three sort of main rooms so okay. first of all we have the front of house team mm-hmm. and that zara sort of is is there and then that we have each so we have three, you know, queues. Mm-hmm. So each one would have their own, um, you know, person, person or host. Mm-hmm. Uh, so be, you know, checking tickets and that sort of stuff. So the team up front is probably about four people mm-hmm. in total, um, and then each room has, on average, about three to four DJs, and some of the rooms would have one or two MCs, and then we'd have hosts as well that would just make sure that the running of the room is is going as smoothly as possible um and we have dancers uh so we have four dancers in the main room we have a dancer upstairs in the desi room mm-hmm. so that's pretty much the and then we have a couple of runners as well and the, the, those people are the ones that help us out just if we need to move things around between because on the night i'm telling you that venue, you know that venue's massive mm-hmm. so you know if i get a call to say somebody needs a soft drink or um, you know, downstairs all the way in the urban room. Mm-hmm. It just means I don't have to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> and we yeah. have radios so that we keep connected. Okay. Yeah, because it is so a big. That... It's such a big event, like venue. Mm. Um, I think I probably clock around twenty five thousand steps in the time that you know we are there because you're going up oh. and down the stairs. Mm. So, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a vast team, mm-hmm. and it's a you know, and everyone works in unison, and it's it's really good. I mean. We do, what we tend to do is we kind of work, um, we're kind of on it up until about two. And then mm-hmm. two o'clock is when doors close. And that's when you can kind of be more relaxed. The mm-hmm. DJs are in full swing. Everyone knows what they're doing. And that's when we can kind of relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll have a few drinks. And then that, that'll that be us actually between two and six is our time to just enjoy the night mm-hmm. and yeah that's and breathe and breathe <laughs> yeah that's it and that's when because I know you, when you came to the last event I wasn't able to see you mm-hmm. and I think because you messaged me quite because there's a point where I honestly my phone just blows up yeah. and then there gets to a point where I just stop looking at my phone mm-hmm. and I think it was that time when you messaged me I, I must have not looked at the phone until the do next you know day what? do you know why do you know but I knew what time it was because 
I was, so when was this? So this would have been around, it would have been around the time of when the live PAs went on. In and around that time. Okay. That would be about Yeah, that was around two. It was around that time. And then, because I hadn't, I've never seen you in real life, but I've seen your pro, your DP on WhatsApp. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of working it out and I'm like, I think this is, per- and I saw you fly across that <laughs> dance floor from one side to the other. And then I was like, I was like, okay, you're on stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? You're, you're busy doing things. I can see like, it's, it's almost, it reminds me of like the podcast or when I'm doing stuff in HR that if anyone's, if anyone sees me, like, you know, I guess on a day-to-day basis then sees me in an environment, my mind's tuned in. Mm-hmm. My mind's tuned in, you can tell. I'm not just here gingerly, you know, I'm, I'm I'm busy doing stuff and I could see that you were going from one thing to the other quickly as well. So clearly this is a pressing time. And I thought that that's why I was like, I really wanted to kind of get into a bit of the logistics of behind the scenes because it's really being... Um, a punter in the club, you know, someone just attending an event, having a good time. You're having two completely different experiences, you yeah. know? So yeah, that, that, that probably was it, but I understood. Mm-hmm. I understood, I could see that you was busy and that, but it would be cool to talk about, but also shout out to the Urban World team more broadly, you know, pick up yourself, bring in flavors and vibes frequently to the community, man. I'm, Especially for the young bucks, especially for the under twenty five. Listen, them man there love to rave. We've all yeah. been, we've all been there. We don't want to be in the house. I say we like. I'm not part of that group anymore. But um, I I I'm, I love that for the youngsters. Mm. Nobody wants to be bored at home. We want to be social, enjoying yourself. So, you know, I'm I'm just shout out to the team for all the continued efforts of just serving the community. I believe in having a heart of service. Yeah, and you guys are definitely serving and. You can tell if you were ever considering going to a queer event, go to Urban World. I'm just saying, get your Thank tickets you. them. Um, <laughs> but within that, you can hear how much thought, preparation, consideration has gone into the individual person's experience. So if you were a bit nervous or whatnot, I think I hope that this brings you a sigh of relief in to understanding how this. It's not. This ain't just some anything that. It was an idea this week, we're doing it next week. You know, there's so much more into this, so much substance. Um, and there's many ways in which you can kind of take this and enjoy it. So I would say, peeps, you know what to do. Check out next, when's the next Urban World event? Actually? It's the 9th of April. 9th of April, people. I'm definitely going to bust it on the story. So if you're thinking, ah, I don't know where to find them. Well, you know how it goes already. There's going to be the Instagram posts and all of that. There's going to be stories when the thing's coming up. I'll make sure to um, put it in my story so you, and tag it so you can just click through and zoop, 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 zoop. That's <laughs> it. You're off to the rave. But um, I wanted to also ask you about, you're talking about the um, external partner that you work with for sexual health awareness. And mm-hmm. that. so it'd be cool just to kind of talk about what was the concept of why that was even incorporated into this? Because when I think nightlife, when I think sexual health, I think of two I think of clinic when I think of sexual health. I think of doctors, swabs, yeah, getting results. And I think of raving, like turning all the way up. So th- what was the idea in terms of bringing those two things together? 
I mean, the thing is, is uh, having outreach at clubs isn't uh, a new thing. Okay. It's not something that we've kind of come up with. Um, Urban, Desi, Urban Desi, we had outreach at mm. our club. Um, I'm sure like Bootylicious and um, other events have. So for gay sort of sexual health charities, it's mm. a really good space, an opportunity to sort of be able to talk about sexual health and um, you know, get messages across and make sure that, you know, people understand about safe sex and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, giving out condoms and all sorts and just, you know, information. Um, so we've been doing that from day dot. I mean, we've gone as far as even, I think Spectra has even done HIV testing mm-hmm. at the club. Um, it's not the full mm-hmm. test. It's like a, almost a pre-test mm-hmm. and it's a swab and they get taken to a room. Mm-hmm. So if you if, if people want to do it, the option is there. Mm. And I think, you know, not not everybody is clued up about sort of sexual health, especially within the, the male kind of um, community. And this kind of gives them that access without having to go to a specialised clinic right. and so you're travel or go to, to their GP. Yeah, you're exactly. You're coming to them rather than relying on people going there. That's it. Okay. And they can pick up some leaflets. They can pick up all the information. There's also people there from the from the charity that are there to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, if they have any questions or if they have any concerns, you know, they're there to answer questions. So it's, it's you know, I think it's beneficial for us. I mean, they've been with us for years now and mm. they always... And that, is there like... Do people like grab the condoms? I'm going to assume that they do, but do people take them up? I've been told they do. I've never okay. seen it myself, yeah. but um, I've been told that they do. Uh, I'm, I'm sure people say they stock up. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> that's a good look, though. That's a, that's a good, I'm like, it don't matter where you stock up. As long as you've got your stock and you're using it, exactly. it is what you And you know what? Thinking about it, no, I, now I know why I was so taken back by it. I don't use condoms and I never have. I don't think I even know how to... I don't even think I know how to open a packet. I don't know if it's got that little tear thing and you, or if you have to rip it. I don't even know how it works. So to see a table of them, I'm like, shit, I forget people use these. I forget this is a part of people's routine. And that's why I wanted to ask. I was like, this is mad to me. Like, what's this? And also when I think about, if I talk about Pose, the show Pose, right? Pose educated me a lot. Mm-hmm. in a way that I can't even begin to to tell you. Like, I didn't know anything about the trans community because I don't have any trans friends. I don't know any trans people. Um, it's only through the podcast, um, me reaching out to different people and learning that I'm becoming more exposed, but I didn't know anything about that. I didn't really know. I've got two fears. It ties in with this. One is going to jail and the other one is catching HIV. Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, and also like, Poor health. I'm like, food and sex aren't killing me. Like, it's that, that, I can't go out like that. So I've always had this really, I've had a pre, not even a preconception, a very basic understanding of what HIV, AIDS and all of those things were. But because I was so, I don't want that, I kind of kept it at an arm's length. But through the show Pose, there was a lot of education and information about what this meant to the community mm-hmm. um, and what this means for people's lives. Understanding that, there's a lack of um there's a lack of uh access to medical care mm. for the queer community and trans community. I'm like, what the fuck is that? What what are you talking about? Like that's madness. And to me, like my life has never been like that. I've been able to go to the doctors and say, This is what I want, I want that. And yeah. be very and because I've grown up in a very middle class environment, 
I almost have an entitlement and I have access to a language and a way of being that allows me to um, access services and to trigger certain thoughts in people's minds where they're like, I'm going to be helpful, Yeah. right? But what I've come to learn is that, okay, this isn't the experience for everyone and mm. people in that are in more serious situations, this could actually be more problematic and pause, um, cause that... Um, cause that friction or that divide between people accessing what they need. Yeah. And um, part of the podcast, because this is a sponsored podcast and, you know, I had to kind of figure out how to get it. When I was developing, I always knew I wanted it to be sponsored. Um, and I always knew that I wanted to try and reach the many and mm-hmm. sponsorship will help me to, to do mm-hmm. that. And I had to do a lot of research to kind of understand the narrative behind why I'm creating it. Mm-hmm. And some of it is, my authentic stuff, but also the things that I've learned through doing the research to understand how I can make this impactful. And when I was hearing about the joke of us, the service that people within the community were facing when trying to access their hormone therapy, um, trying to access all kinds of stuff, it just, a lot of these health provisions weren't interested or they were closed. Yeah. You know, so the fact that in your own way, you know, you're kind of creating a space where, okay, we're going to bring this to you and mm. make it easier and take that. Because some people might even feel embarrassed or feel shame to go to certain places or, you know, so I I, I really rock with that as a... As a, as a or as it could a, just be yeah. they need a bit of a drink before they yeah. can pick up a condom. Sure, <laughs> and yeah. It could just be that. Yeah. And it would be a good opportunity just to say if, if there are any anyone that's involved with the charity or they would like to partner up with. Um, yeah, well, we're always Please do get to... in touch. Mm. We're big um, on collaboration. Yeah. And... and how would, and if you just describe that and define that a little bit more. So if there is an organization or a person or whatever that maybe does it, they can kind of identify it in themselves. So what kind of thing would what would you be looking for or what would they offer or how would they know that they should reach out to you? I mean, the, you know, like I think there's anything to do because, you know, the community that do come to Urban World, not all mm-hmm. of them, but there is also, there is a section of them that are quite vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know, and so it could be anything to do with health. It could do, it could be housing. Okay. It could be, you know, mental health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do like, we're, we're, now next event we are kind of partnering with uh, two two black two queer and their whole messaging is about positive mental health messaging and mm, let me that's happy final one ig yeah they they're kind of doing a pre-event at urban world um so kind of separate but we're, we're kind of you know it's together mm. um so yeah so stuff i would say yeah shelter health um mental health really important or maybe something that we we haven't even thought about and yeah, we're they open feel to passionate ideas. about, so they should really reach yeah. out. People, you've heard it here already, and I'm glad that you were able to just define that because sometimes, you know, people are so humble. They're like, they and people cannot almost discount themselves out of uh, an opportunity or even seeing themselves. So I'm hoping just that we've been able to kind of classify that a little bit more. If you are in the space of, you know, mental health, you know, housing, sexual health, whatever it might be, you know, definitely reach out to the people. Now, I, I'm saying I'm sitting here and they're kind of lit, you know, so I'm sure, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I, you know, I'd, I'd put that on my name, you know, I've had the experience down at the club and I'm actually glad that it happened this way around. Mm. Um, and we've had, I'm like, this is solid, these are solid people, you know, so 
you know, shoot your shot if you've got, if you, if you, and I'm saying if you've got good quality services, yeah, mm -hmm. if you're doing proper <laughs> things, then reach out. But yeah, we're about that time, we're about to wrap up. But I suppose there's a couple of things that we could do before we wrap up, actually. Okay. So, first and foremost, where can the people find you? What are your social media handles and so on? Oh, so um, Instagram is probably the the most active at mm -hmm. the moment because I think Facebook is kind of slowly dying a yeah. death for uh, <laughs> events. Um, so it's at Urban World. It's U-B-N-W-L-D mm -hmm. um, for Facebook and Instagram. Yep. And the, the website is www.ubnwld. So that's urbanworld.com. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's where you can... So, peeps, this is a call to action right now. Right now. <laughs> Pick up your phone. Go to their gram. Type in Urban World, just as they spelled it out, and press follow. Do that for <laughs> me. Do that for me. Do that for me, man. Um, and I guess if you had... Imagine, like, a like a short love letter to the South Asian queer community. You know, each of you, what would you like to say to your community? It's just, like, a word of encouragement. Do you want me to go first? All right, <laughs> I, I could see the finger pointing in the background. <laughs> so um, I think just, again, heavily going by my own experience, um, don't be too hard on yourself. You aren't the only one. I mean, you are the only one when we talk about individual experiences, but you aren't the only one that's going through their own journey. Sometimes it will be hard. Sometimes you will feel like you're the only one around that's going through that, but it does get better. And be kind to yourself and learn a way to love yourself because that's that's what I have done and I'm still working on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Zara's pretty much summed up what I was going to say. I think oh, my, sorry about my, that. Yeah, there was two <laughs> things there. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it, for me it's, you know, look after your mental health. You know, don't take that for granted. And, yeah, be kind to yourself. I think uh, a lot of the South Asian community, you know, I've seen it myself, they beat themselves up. Mm. and it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. It really isn't. Mm. And do you know what? I think I'm going to fire my shot and try and do a, a mini love letter as well. To, yeah. <laughs> just from this experience here is, you know, I can't speak. I speak for myself. I'm not speaking for anyone other than myself. And, you know, I'm very curious about the many different cultures and the many different expressions that, clothes, food, music, language, relationships, all of that. And just understand that we're two cultures that we've got our differences, which is it's right that we have our differences because that's what makes us us individual, you know. But there's so many similarities. And I'd say, you know, there are people like myself that have got such open hearts. So forget the preconceptions, if you have any, forget the fears, let's act from a space of love and let's, let's come together and, and let's get lit. <laughs> Ultimately, <laughs> let's get lit because like this is a two organisations, grassroots community organisation service, and we've just created some beautiful content that I know people are going to enjoy. So you never know what's going to happen through building relationships with different groups, you know. And yeah, man, big up yourself. Big up on yourself. <laughs> but we're at time, guys. You know what it is. Firstly, thank you so much thank for you. the invite to come down to the event. You know, me... And my partner, we had the time of our lives. We had a good time. Um, thank you for then coming down, you know, and just being so open to share.
This has been an amazing, I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> I have been waiting for this moment, I can't tell you. So people them, you know where to find me. It's Meg Talks online on Instagram. I want the follows. Bring the follows, come. Let's do this thing together, man. Help me bring this to the absolute world. Yeah, I'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.